This is the Norris Group's Real Estate Investor Radio Show. The award-winning show dedicated to thought leaders shaping the real estate industry and local experts revealing their insider tips to succeed in an ever-changing real estate market. Hosted by author, investor, and hard money lender, Bruce Norris. The Norris Group proudly presents our 15th annual award-winning event, I Survived Real Estate. Industry experts join Bruce Norris to discuss evolving industry trends, real estate bubbles, inflation, and opportunities emerging for real estate professionals. All proceeds from the event benefit Make-A-Wish and St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. See isurvivedrealestate.com for event details, information on all our generous sponsors, and to connect with our speakers. We want to thank our Platinum Partners. San Diego Creative Investors Association, U Direct IRA Services, White Feather Investments, The Collective Genius, MVT Productions, and Realty 411. I'd like to introduce our panel. All these gentlemen have been with us before and most of them almost every, every year, so it's been great. From Fannie Mae, Mark Palin, De Deputy Chief Economist. Dr. Mark Palin is the Vice President and Deputy Chief Economist at Fannie Mae, he oversees the teams responsible for Fannie Mae's macroeconomic and housing forecasts and the National Housing Survey. His team has won the Lawrence R. Klein Award for Blue Chip Forecast Accuracy and on two occasions, the NABE Outlook Award. In addition, Mark leads a team of economists who conduct in-depth research on issues affecting housing affordability, including the first work uh, at the company on climate change. This research has informed Fannie Mae's strategy and resulted in publications in peer-reviewed journals. Mark, welcome. Any, any one of those that you'd like. Next, John Burns. John founded John Burns Real Estate Consulting in 2001 to help executives make informed investment decisions. The company's research subscribers receive the most accurate an analysis possible to inform their micro investment decisions. And the company's consul consulting clients receive specific property and portfolio investment advice designed to maximize profits. John co-authored Big Shifts Ahead. If you haven't got that book, it's a fun read for nerds like us. I read it in a day with a yellow marker, so it was quite fun. <laughs> uh, Big Shifts Ahead, Demographic Clarity for Businesses. And it's a book written to help make demographic trends easier to understand. And he really kind of redid the whole demographic to where you could actually understand it. And it, it's interesting, didn't it? That it came out to be almost the same number every 10 years. And that was a lot easier to understand. Um, John's been with us many times, and so we welcome him back. And Sean O'Toole. Prior to launching Property Radar, Sean O'Toole successfully purchased and flipped more than 150 residential commercial foreclosures. Leveraging 15 years in the software industry, Sean used technology as a key competitive advantage to build a successful real estate investment track record. Sean has also thrived in the startup environments 
and as such became a key contributor at Xing Technology, acquired by, no? Yeah. Never mind, okay. <laughs> I, I just gotta say thank you for not citing any of our degrees too after that rip earlier, so I appreciate that. So. Yeah, I don't, I don't cite degrees because I don't have any, so I just, I'd ignore that. <laughs> well, thank you all for being here, I appreciate that. I'm, I'm really curious about, first of all, what you think is going to occur to price. So, go down the line. Sean, what do you think? Well, it's funny, uh, I, did a, I didn't use your moodometer, but I did a similar kind of math, and just to get back to, um, you know, back to the affordability we had at the end of last year, right, when rates were at three, Right. Um, it comes out to exactly the first number you oh, pointed really? at, 520,000 from 820 in California, which is a 36% decline. So we came to the same number, through very different uh, things. Now, I don't necessarily think that's going to happen. Right. I don't think that's going to happen, actually. But um, but that is where we need to get, just to be back to where we were at the end of last year. And the end of the last year didn't really feel that affordable. No, but you know, it was also matched with a 3% mortgage rate. Right. Yeah, that's, that's the big challenge. Um, okay. So, yeah, you know, you're, you're your math is is right, but there's so many other bits to this right now around supply and inflation and global economic events and and the rest that I think it's pretty difficult. I have a couple different thoughts in mind where it can go, but we'll, we'll start there. Okay. All right. How's that for a hedge? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I've rethought this a little bit. So I was originally in the camp that, gee, we're not going to see a lot of supply, so maybe prices won't tank. Um, I've never seen prices fall this fast before in my career, so I'm totally changing my mind. Uh, and I think what we need to remember is very few homes transact every year. It only takes two or three in each neighborhood to transact to completely reset the bar. Uh, we're seeing a lot of cash buyers, cash sellers, willing to take a $400,000 profit instead of a $450,000 profit because I'm moving anyway. Or we're seeing what you said, um, putting the home on the market. We're actually seeing a surge of rentals, uh, which is kind of, the other, the other thing I thought was, and this is less of a California thing, it's more of a rest of the country thing and a Florida thing, is that we have all this money now that did not exist before that knows how to manage rental homes. Uh, that they will bring a floor to the market and maybe prices won't tank. Uh, we're actually seeing a surge in listings of homes for rent. And the big ones there are publicly traded REITs and, and their clients of mine. And I've asked them, well, geez, you borrowed a bunch of money at 4%. What do you care? You can keep buying. And they said, no, John, my stock price is down 26%. So my investors are saying to be accretive, you now need to get a six and a half yield on everything you're buying instead of a four. So I need to wait for prices to come down so I can get a six and a half yield. And I'm like, okay, here we go. And, then, and, and that, that's how it's, it's playing out. And then you throw in the home builders, which I laugh, you talk about only 8,000 homes. That's like a 10 year supply in Orange County now. Um, that you, you know, you're, we only built eight, pulled 8,000 permits in, in one county in Florida. Um, we're not building anything here, but the home builders, uh, 
super well capitalized. Uh, I mean, Lennar had 15% debt to market cap ratio, and it's not even due for years at a fixed rate. With a 29% gross margin when they usually have 20. So for them to drop prices, 9% gets them back to their normal profit margin. Um, they've already announced they've dropped prices 9, so that's public information. You can read their earnings call. Uh, and so the home builders are kind of fighting to the bottom right now because, um, you know what? I'm going to generate some cash and I'm going to keep the trades busy because I don't want to lose the trades. And um, this, this is how I get through the cycle. I'm a long way from losing a penny. And um, they're driving prices down too. So, so I've, I've rethought this, and it's not really a forecast. This is kind of what I've seen over the last three or four months. Now, what, what kind of price decline are you talking about? Because maybe I missed that misunderstood you. I thought you said it was like the most aggressive price decline you'd ever I, I, seen. So we're serving resale agents now and they're telling us nationally prices are down seven from June. From June? Yeah. Okay. So I don't think I've ever seen prices fall seven percent in four months before. Yeah. I've seen them fall further than that, but it took a lot longer. Is it from euphoria number? I mean, I, I guess... Yeah, it's from a, it's from a <laughs> silly number that... Right. I bought this home that was worth 400 grand two, three years ago, then it was worth 600 grand. Um, so if I sell it for 500 grand, that's great. Yeah. Well, you know, just that's why I kind of gave that example of that house that went up for sale for five and a quarter and that got bid up 575. That, that 50 grand was nonsense because it was a, the 525 was 100 more than we thought when we started to build the thing. So I guess when, you, when we start saying, we lost that 10%. We lost the 10% that should have never existed. So is that a price hit or is that just some? No, that's, that's right. And the way we're spinning this positively, because we have to have something positive at this event. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, I always cry here anyway with the Make-A-Wish thing. I was crying more than ever earlier. <laughs> um, is is the, way, the way we're spinning it to our clients is we think resale prices and new home prices will go back to sometime in 2020 or near the beginning of COVID. Okay. It doesn't seem too bad, but then you put a percentage on that. Yeah, that's well, bad. That's really bad for somebody who bought a home eight months ago. Yeah. But for 65% of America that their owns interest. their home with a mortgage rate under 4%, um, they're fine. Yes. It's, it's not some sort of economic crisis disaster. It's just a disaster for people that are playing a short-term game in our industry. At the end of 2019, I'm just curious what your thought was on on prices because there's a, Cal Poly Pomona has a yeah. report and they have about 2,000 homes that they, they uh, appraise every six months, the same house for the last 40 years. And they had 25% of that showing a negative six month period from June of 2019 to December 2019. And that we were already taking some price hits there. I was just wondering, did you think that that was sort of the end of the cycle, like getting to 2020, that would be a peak? Um, I mean, I've learned my lesson over the years on, on how to phrase this. So, so the, the most money, as you articulate, and most appreciation seems to be when the market gets overheated. Right. So yes, I, we, work, we have a housing cycle risk index that frankly we've been raising the red flag on probably since 2017. Right. <laughs> 
Uh, but it's mathematical, it's not even my opinion. It's just like, here's the math, like your moodometer. Um, but I was, we were not calling for price declines because we didn't see that in the cards. Uh, but we were saying like, this is the time of the cycle where, you, where things can get euphoric. Um, we hope they don't. And, um, but we think prices are gonna keep going up. Um, and, uh, but risk on. And, and frankly, that ties perfectly into what the home builders have been doing, the exact same thing. They, they borrowed money that's not due for a very long time at a fixed rate, um, and then they've been buying land under option agreements with, with the land seller or with these sophisticated Wall Street guys as land bankers, and they've been buying land only putting up 15% of the land price. So they have the ability to walk from it now. So that, that's exactly how they've been playing the game. Is like, we're going to make a lot of money, but I'm going to pay somebody else some interest, basically as market insurance on all the land I'm buying. So but most of them are going to get through this perfectly fine. Now, I'm just curious, one other question. Why, why would somebody carry such long-term paper at such low rates? Well... <laughs> You mean why? Why? Who was buying two percent debt and three percent? I mean, who who was buying mortgage-backed securities when all mortgages were three percent? Thirty-year federal government was buying a quarter of them. Okay. And, and um, which made absolutely no sense to me. I got so sick of screaming like, "What the hell are they doing?" I stopped. Um, but what I know he was doing is where the housing market is the Fed's puppet. The economy was not growing the way they needed it, they wanted it to. Inflation actually was below the 2 to 3% target, so he was trying to get the economy growing, and, and I can use the housing market to do that, and that's what they were doing. But then when the housing market started going up 20% per year, um, I mean, I get why they did it in the spring of 2020. That mm -hmm. makes sense to me. Right. But why they were doing that in 2017 and 2018 and 2019, actually, they started to taper a little bit. Um, and the economy wasn't growing, and so they stopped. Okay. So I, why, you know, the Fed was doing it, but why other people were doing it, I don't, I don't know. I didn't buy any 3% debt, did you? No. Okay, so. <laughs> I didn't borrow any of it either, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> well, part of it was, I think people were hoarding cash, and just like a little bit of interest on my cash is smart. So I'm not gonna fault them for that, that's okay. Right. Mark? So a bunch of ideas going through my mind, but let me get back to your initial question, which is around home prices. So, um, in our just to start with our forecast, in our October forecast, we have um, peak to trough home prices declining uh, of five percent. So it's not a huge decline. Um, when we talk about affordability, we have the same sort of view of affordability as you do, uh, which is that affordability now is worse than it was in 2005. And if you think about the components of affordability, we've spent a lot of time talking about home prices and interest rates, but the third one is income, right? What's happening to median incomes. So in our forecast, we have unemployment touching 6%, but not going above that. Um, if you think about, and when we did our forecast, mortgage rates were in the mid sixes. Now they're in the low sevens. Um, so if you think about, uh, I think the best historical parallels going back to the late 70s when the Fed was also behind in terms of inflation and having to tighten pretty aggressively. Uh, currently the bond market thinks the Fed will stop tightening in the spring, which would suggest and maybe stop at four and three quarters. 
So mortgage rates would be about seven. So what are the risks to home prices? One is beyond what's in that forecast. Uh, unemployment goes up higher, so personal income, household incomes drops further. Um, the Fed uh, inflation is harder to defeat, and we can talk about that separately. There's, there's a bunch of reasons why maybe the Fed would have to raise more than, they, um, than people think they will, which means higher mortgage rates. Um, both those things combined would definitely put more downward pressure on home prices. Um, the other thing I'll mention is obviously local home prices are very different than national. So we're already seeing some markets where home prices are down 10%. Um, and the context of that is from the start of the pandemic till June, home prices were up 40%. So, you know, corn doesn't grow the sky. Um, the housing market was the unintended beneficiary of, of a very low interest rates and aggressive fiscal and monetary policy in response to the pandemic. And now that's being pulled back. Is, I'm just curious, is our, is our society better balanced if, in fact, we, we sort of get stuck at 7% mortgage rates and if you actually have savings, you earn interest on it? I'm just curious what, your, what anybody's take is on that. Because we've lived in a very weird world where savers didn't get any benefit. Yeah, I mean, we're at an interesting point um, today. This week, the, the savings rate information came out. The savings rate dropped again. It's in the low threes, which is a sign that a lot of households are um, suffering some distress from higher gas, food prices, et cetera, et cetera, right? So the savings rate is pretty low. If you think of mortgage rates, if you just go back to uh, the, you know, the, the last 20 years, a 6% mortgage rate is a completely normal mortgage rate, right? Um, it's just a shock to people now because they got used to a mortgage rate of, of sub three. Um, and and your, your savings question is entirely a fair one. Uh, central banks around the world pushed down interest rates and a lot of countries went negative and that was basically a tax on savers, right? It was a hidden tax on savers. Um, and, and it didn't give the growth that people had hoped. So the flip side of that is maybe the economy is not is interest rate sensitive, as um, macro models suggest. So just as uh, the Fed and other central banks were disappointed at the amount of growth they got when they cut interest rates, we may find that it's harder to slow down the economy when you raise rates, and therefore the Fed would have to raise them further. With 8% uh, inflation, the last time we were there was 70s? What was, is, was the interest rate comparable with the 8% interest or 8% or inflation, or was it a lot higher? Well, in, uh, from the period from 79 to 82, 81, you know, mortgage rates went from 12% to 18%. Well, what was inflation? And inflation around then was 10%. So why are we at 8% and the interest rate so low? Because rates, rates haven't finished going up. Okay, because rates haven't finished going up? I get that. That's where you're leading the witness. <laughs> I'm, gl I'm glad counsel is here to protect me. <laughs> I mean, the big difference, of course, is that um, back then, not just the Volcker days, the Fed back then was completely different than the Fed today. The Fed back then would adjust only short-term interest rates and did not intervene at the long end of the curve. 
and the long end of the curve reflected a market consensus about growth and inflation. Today, the Fed is managing both ends of the curve. So it's just a, we just live in a very different world from the monetary policy point of view. Used to be a free market economy. Yeah. <laughs> what, what do you think of the policy to take these low interest rate loans that are in place and let them move forward to a new buyer? Like a, like a subject to take over the existing loan, uh, you might have a very different outcome in price. Yeah, I mean, I know in the 70s, um, FHA loans were assumable, and that was something that, that helped keep um, homes. But you had to pay a premium often. It, it got worked into the price if you were buying a house with an assumable loan. Yeah, I well, you're paying a 4% premium not to right now. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, John. Sorry. I mean, it's it's a great idea. They do it in Australia. Um, a bunch of us proposed that in the mid 2000s. Actually, E Trade tried it. Consumers didn't want it because of what he just said. It literally was 50 basis points higher because it was trading more like a 30-year security because it wasn't going to prepay. Um, it'd be like a 10-year security, which is what typical mortgages are because somebody you know refinances after one, somebody holds it for 30. The, the bond market thinks of it as a 10-year security. The bond market would think of that as a 30-year security, so that, that would drive rates up. Um, it would help real estate agents and more people would transact and things. And I don't understand it. Like, well, I, if I move, I take all my credit card debt with me. Why can't I take my mortgage with me? I actually, I actually look at it that way. Right. As long as, you know, subject to an appraisal and maybe a fee and those sorts of things. That would make more sense to me. Yeah, either one would be. But it would be a higher interest rate because it would be a longer-dated security for whoever owns it. We'd also like to thank our gold sponsors, Chase Leland Photography, Inland Valley Association of Realtors, Keystone CPA Inc., LA South RIA, Lavis Tax Wealth Management, NorCal RIA, NSDREI, Pasadena Phoebe, Tony Alvarez, White House Catering, Wilson Investments, Windermere Tower Realty, See isurvivedrealestate.com for event details, information on all our generous supporters, and to connect with our speakers. For more information on hard money loans and upcoming events with the Norris Group, check out thenorrisgroup.com. For information on passive investing with trust deeds, visit tngtrustdeeds.com. The Norris Group originates and services loans in California and Florida under California DRE License 01219911, Florida Mortgage Lender License 1577, and NMLS License 1623669. For more information on hard money lending, go to thenorrisgroup.com and click the hard money tab.